All right. Hey, folks. So settle in for part two of the February Q&A in 2023. Let's get straight into it. First question from Machado. He says, hi, Faz. I've been rewatching a lot of your content regarding breaking plateaus. Say I recently upped my volume to get over a plateau and I'm progressing well. Is there a point where I return to the lower volume or am I just stuck on this high volume now? It's a good question. And I think it's a concern that a lot of people have. And it's also a criticism of higher volume approaches, which is normally levied by low volume proponents. They just say, what are you going to do? Are you going to carry on increasing volume forever? That's given as an argument for avoiding high volume. But no, the reality is that's not the case. And I can speak from my own experience. So very early on, I was stuck at a, about a 200 pound bench press. And this was back in 2003-ish. I'd been lifting for a few years. My squat and deadlift were pretty decent, but my bench really lagged behind. At the time, I was very much a low volume advocate. That was how I got my start into lifting. I started off pretty well, but then I hit this wall of roughly a 200 pound bench, about a 500 pound deadlift. I remember what eventually caused me to progress was roughly 25 to 30 sets of pressing per week. Most of those to failure, all of them with barbells and dumbbells, just really hard, heavy, basic stuff that eventually moved my bench from 200 to 330. Over time, I went on to bench a lot more. I went on to bench 400 pounds and the volume for that was lower than what it took to go from 200 to 330. Your volume requirements will change over a course of a lifetime. I feel quite confident giving an answer in that now because I have lifted for so long, well over two decades now, and I can speak quite confidently on the volume issue. Okay, so next, we'll go with this one from John, 209. He basically wants to know about neck training and how important it is for aesthetics. So yeah, it's a good question. First of all, let's just cover whether you need neck training or not. For me personally, I think a well-developed neck is very important to look good, to look powerful. I personally prefer the neck, trap, shoulder aesthetic. That's my ideal physique. So I think it plays an important role. So how much neck training do you actually need? I can safely tell you this, I never did neck training. For most of my adult life, I wore a suit to work. I always wore 18 inch shirts. I always had difficulty buttoning them up. Very often I wouldn't button up the top button. I would just have the tie on to give the impression that it was buttoned up. It's not something that I ever struggle with. So this is what begins a discussion then. Whether you need direct network or not very much depends on how your body responds to training. For a lot of people, they might not need neck training. Just lifting weights hard and heavy for a high amount of volume over the course of three, five, 10 years may well be enough. For me personally, if I started to do neck training, it would probably affect the way that I sleep negatively. I think it has to be evaluated on an individual case-by-case -case basis. Realistically speaking, how many of you in the audience would say that everybody, everywhere, Every size, every level of advancement, man, woman, child, everybody needs to do 10 sets of chest per week. How many of you would say that? Of course you wouldn't. It's a ridiculous stance. So in the same way, we can't say that everybody needs neck training. It depends on how your neck has responded to training up until now. It also depends on your requirements. Do you want a bigger neck than you currently have? 
perhaps is not part of your aesthetic. It's down to your opinion. The wonderful thing about bodybuilding is you can literally do whatever you like. You can start off every single training session with your priority muscle. It doesn't matter. Now, in terms of how to go about increasing neck size, I would just use the same principle as everything else. Progressively add in volume, see what you need to notice a tangible improvement. Give it a period of time, give it six weeks, start to do say some reasonable neck exercises, some forward flexion, side to side flexion, something like that. And then give it say a reasonable time of six weeks at a certain volume level. So you've said to yourself, okay, I've done 10 sets per week of side to side flexion and 10 sets of back and forth flexion over the course of six weeks per week, every week. Now I've evaluated my neck size week one versus week six. And now I will make some adjustments and change as I need to. It's that simple. It's the same thing as you would do for every single body part. It's no different. Don't overthink things. Add volume as necessary. Hold for a period of time. Evaluate. Adjust. Easy. Same as you would do for anybody. Next question. Okay, so this is a really good question from Stephen Carter. He is essentially asking, how would you transition from a powerlifting mentality to a bodybuilding mentality? Now, I feel like I have a good amount of experience to talk about this because I was a powerlifter for approximately 14 years. I then had a transition phase of about four years before I competed in bodybuilding. So for me to transition over the course of four years from power sports to physique sports, it required a lot of relearning everything. Bodybuilding was a very confusing endeavor for me at the time because there was no system really. Um, the only people who were really close to having a system at the time was very early stuff by Mike Isretel and RP. I came from a strength discipline which had all kinds of systems, all kinds of periodization models. Powerlifting and strongman is synonymous with research which goes back decades looking at periodization models. And I was dumped into this field of bodybuilding where I said, how do you progress? What is the system here? And people just said to me, well, you just train and you, you add weight where you can, it's progressive overload. And I was like, it's like that meme. <laughs> that guy. My goodness. What an idea. Why didn't I think of that? Hammocks. What have I been doing all these years with my periodization models? <laughs> and I just found it crazy. I just found it crazy. These bodybuilders were literally just, yeah, just add weight to the Barbara. Oh, I see. That was the confusing part because it seemed to me when I crossed over to bodybuilding, nobody had any clue what they were doing at all. General advice was, yeah, just like get stronger, bro. Clearly wasn't going to work for me because I was already ridiculously strong. <laughs> so this is what was so confusing. Um, you know, for me at the time, but how do I get bigger? It doesn't make any sense. There was, there is no system. So that was the first thing that was really confusing to me. And over time I developed my own system and I developed, and I realized that strength gain from a bodybuilding standpoint, it's still very relevant. However, it is relevant in a very different way to power sports. For power sports, strength progression is the end goal. For bodybuilding, strength progression is a side effect of everything else, of the muscles getting bigger. One of my most popular videos was strength progressions for hypertrophy, where I completely break down 
all the different ways that you can train your muscle and the result should be progressive overload. Not the goal. The goal is muscle growth and training your muscle correctly in a given session. The side effect is that over time you will get stronger. But there are a number of contingent factors which you have to keep in place to ensure that you're being honest. Like, for example, rep speed, sufficient amount of volume, the rest between your reps, the pauses that you do, the control in general, targeting the muscles. These are all things which have to be kept constant while you allow your body to get stronger. But the strength gain is really a side effect of getting bigger because that's the goal. And this is where I think the power building bros get very confused because there's one step in powerlifting, one step in bodybuilding, and really doing neither of them very efficiently. So I don't generally recommend power building for that reason, because it's a very confused endeavor. It's mostly people just trying to simplify bodybuilding. Like it. So anyway, the first thing that I found confusing was the programming. Okay. Eventually I figured it out. Now, the next thing was the style of lifting, which I think is somewhat connected. But at the time, I was trying to effectively do a bodybuilding routine with powerlifting form, and that was horrendous. And I see a lot of guys making that mistake on Instagram because they'll try and be bodybuilders, but they will lift like powerlifters. And normally what happens is they're not strong enough to do with themselves any damage. So they're benching maybe two plates aside or whatever for reps. So they're too weak to cause any harm but they're also not really building a lot of muscle. They're just racking up numbers. Now, in my case, because I was already very strong, benching for a bodybuilder routine with higher volumes, with the range of exercises that you would employ, that was extremely dangerous and it caused a lot of injuries. I probably had more niggling injuries from 2014 to 2018 when I was transitioning from powerlifting to bodybuilding because I insisted on lifting like a powerlifter with a bodybuilding routine. So basically I was a power builder and it was the worst thing that I ever did. For most of you guys who will defend power building, you're not strong enough to hurt yourself. So it doesn't matter what you think. How does it make you feel? feel it doesn't matter how it makes you feel. Oh no. Whereas for me, I had already gotten quite strong, like very strong. So it was a route to a lot of injuries. It was a very inefficient training and a lot of injuries. For a lot of you guys, I think if you focused yourself in one direction for a year, you would make infinitely more progress in that direction. So either focus as a bodybuilder for physique or focus as a powerlifter for strength. You're in the middle getting the worst of both worlds. You're not strong and you don't look good. For me, at least, there had to be a change in focus to actually lifting like a bodybuilder so that the bodybuilding routine that I was doing, which was higher volume, more expanded, using a wider range of exercises, which was actually targeting the muscles, could have been effective and not be injurious. And that's basically what I do now. I wish I did in 2014 what I do now. So this is why when I get guys who come to me for coaching, and who are in a similar position to me, I feel very qualified to say, okay, we can actually make great strides in your physique because you've always been a power builder or always been a power lifter, but they just don't know the, how different that is from actual bodybuilding. 
just to summarize my answer for you, Stephen, because it's a massive question and it's a really good one. In the first instance, programming is different. There, there is much less reliance on the periodization model. And there is much more reliance on training the muscle when you're in the gym. So again, have a look at my strength progressions for hypertrophy video about that. And the second thing is form is completely different. To be able to do a bodybuilding routine, your form has to be completely revamped. I would still say to you guys, pick a direction, pick a lane, take one or two years and really go after that one goal. Achieve something before you just sit in this zone of mediocrity, which is power building. Next, from Yoke Skull, thoughts on the payoff press for abdominal training. I hate calisthenics abs training and cable crunches are quite uncomfortable for me. It's a good question. Cable crunches are a difficult exercise to get your head around. Most people don't have very good spinal control. That is a skill you need to be able to effectively train your abs through a full range of motion, which is what the cable crunch does. So I guess we have a couple of things here. Firstly, the question about paloff press. It's not a substitute for effective ab training. It's an exercise which has some value for sports, for rotational situations where you're tackling people or you're getting hit or you're having to turn and move. It's not really particularly useful for bodybuilding training. It doesn't really do a great deal. My advice for you on the second issue, it's probably a good idea to master it. In my training life, things that I've ignored have always come back to bite me with injuries. So whether that was hamstring tears, whether it was upper back weaknesses leading to shoulder problems, my weaknesses have always come back to haunt me. And if you don't have particularly strong abs or particularly good spinal control, that may well come back to haunt you eventually. Maybe not next month, maybe not next year, but at some point in the future. If you are looking to get stronger all around, you can't leave any one area weaker than the rest. Otherwise, that is the area that will break. Classic analogy of this was from Louis Simmons, where he said, if you were going to war and you knew that one battalion was weak, that's the battalion you would attack. Once you took that out, everything would open up. So if you have a lack of spinal flexion control, it indicates weakness. Maybe not the answer you're looking for, but in the long term, that's the better answer. So next is with this question from Strategically Wild. He says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how one should sift through the overwhelming amount of often conflicting fitness advice on the internet. And how should you resist the pull towards something new presented with extreme confidence? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I understand where you're coming from. For you guys right now, getting onto the internet must be extremely confusing. For me, when I first got onto the internet in 1999, it was quite simple. We had pretty much one good website. The OGs will remember it was deepsquatter.com. It's still up, actually. You can look it up. All that had was just a series of articles. And even back then, even I thought that was too much because the articles were, some of them were from American powerlifting from Louis Simmons. Others were British powerlifting from Doug Daniels. There was some Russian stuff there from Corte and uh, Shaco. And I, even I, I thought that was even too much at the time. But nowadays you go on, you have all kinds of people I think what we had back then was we had honesty. 
most of these guys who were putting stuff out online, they weren't looking at making a lot of money. They were just putting stuff out online in a very genuine way. People had different styles of training. Doug Daniels was very different from Louis Simmons, which was very different from Shaker, but they were all honest. All the systems worked. Nowadays, you have the added twist of influencers are putting out information to stay relevant, to ensure that eyes are still glued to their screens. And very often the people you see who present with the most confidence, like this one trick that nobody wants you to know about, they're saying that to remain relevant. They are playing on the natural human instinct of wanting shortcuts in an endeavor where you know full well, there are no shortcuts, but those types of people generally get more eyeballs on their screens. And then they get interviewed by people who are also looking to getting people onto their platform. So it all becomes this massive circle joke of guys who are out there trying to stay relevant, being interviewed by guys also trying to stay relevant. But with those people aside, there are a bunch of guys on this platform in this sort of network that I'm part of, including guys like Steve Shaw, Alpha Destiny, GVS, Baldomni Man, Basement Bodybuilding, Stan Strength, Freaky D, all those guys who have very good information, all, but even then there are differences in our opinions. I have differences of opinion on some things to Steve Shaw, for example, but we are all genuine actors. None of us are saying things just to be relevant. So here is the answer to your question. It's actually a very simple answer. The way that I coach my clients is we work in time chunks of roughly six weeks. Now there's nothing special about six weeks but it allows me to put in place a routine for training, for diet, for cardio, a set of parameters. And then I help that client execute those parameters over the course of six weeks. We then, at the end of the six weeks, we evaluate, did it work? Okay. And we are doing that every single six weeks, every single block, every single month. How did we do this block? Are we moving towards our goal? If we are, then great. If not, then we make the necessary adjustments based on my experience and we continue to make progress. What you're saying is very understandable, but if you approach things logically like that, it's actually very easy. My system of coaching is designed to prevent any confusion. It makes us both, myself and the client, have a high degree of confidence in what we're doing because we are identifying exactly why things are working or why things aren't working and making the necessary adjustments. Now the adjustments I make based on my experience, because I have almost a decade now of coaching experience. I mean, my third decade of training. So I understand why things break. I make contingencies and I use my experience and my knowledge in that way. And I think that's my results for my clients speak volumes. So that is how I would suggest you approach your training to. Right. Next we'll go with Justin P says, do you think natural bodybuilding programming is making a comeback over power building and powerlifting programming or will the powerlifting programs or mindset prevail? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess it's related to an earlier answer, but I'll say this in addition. I don't think natural bodybuilding programming ever went away. I think it's been a problem of communication and I can say this quite confidently because I was a school teacher. Communication is very important. 
my ability to communicate my ideas to you is the funnel for whether you understand what I'm saying or not. And it's the same with my clients. I have to have a very strong ability to communicate my ideas. Otherwise, I might be an absolute genius. I might be Albert Einstein for bodybuilding. But if I can't communicate my ideas effectively, that's the funnel. Okay. Now, I believe communication for strength sports is easier because you're dealing with numbers, percentages. And a lot more research has gone on behind those things to formalize them into a system. So we have research going back to the 60s on strength training. We've had that long to create systems. We're now seeing that we're in the sixth decade or more of strength training research. It has been formalized into a system. People are very confident in teaching strength training now. The same cannot be said for hypertrophy training. Hypertrophy training has only really tried to be formalized over the last 10 years. Now, prior to that, natural bodybuilding programming wasn't really something which was easily communicable because there is much more of a focus on the untangible factors like feel, cadence, soreness, pump. So natural bodybuilding programming suffers from this lack of communication. I think it's inherently a lot more complicated to talk about bodybuilding than it is to talk about strength training because you're talking about a lot of things which aren't as concrete as numbers and percentages. You're talking about feel. You're talking about style. You're talking about cadence. You're talking about workflow. All of these things are far harder to communicate. I think YouTube has been amazing for this because YouTube allows us to speak freely. Up until recently, bodybuilding has been restricted to articles about sets and reps and routines. But bodybuilding is more than that. It's, it's more of a system. It's more to do with the actual workout, how you feel during the workout, the flow of it. And it's more to do with those factors which are more esoteric and more abstract, which is why it's a lot harder to understand for a lot of people. A lot of people who want to do bodybuilding but aren't able to wrap their heads around these more abstract factors tend to devolve into power building. So they feel like they can do bodybuilding, but they chase the numbers. It's a way of easily communicating an idea. But in my opinion, it's not ideal. And that's why nowadays you do get guys like myself, um, basement bodybuilding does this very well, who aim to communicate bodybuilding, not power building and not powerlifting. YouTube helps because you're here, you're speaking freely, but it's a lot harder to communicate. So you ask the question, is natural bodybuilding programming making a comeback? It never went away. It just wasn't a very easily communicable thing. And the medium of information transference, which was the written format, books, magazines, that was the limiting factor. We have video now. Video is a lot more helpful. You can actually show somebody how to lift. This is one of the reasons why I do include lifting footage in my videos because it's wise to show people how to lift. That is more important. Okay. So yeah, it's a great question. And to understand this question, you really need to be a thinker. Bodybuilding is a lot more of a thinking man's game in some respects. Quick last question from John. <laughs> if you have to pick one, which do you prefer? 
Number one, looking big in a shirt, less impressive with the shirt off, bear mode. Or number two, look aesthetic and lean with shirt off, but less size with shirt on. The majority of my life, I've been number one, big in a shirt, less impressive with the shirt off. <laughs> so now I'm more like number two. So I think I prefer number two because that is what I choose to be. I could be either, but I choose to be two. So that's what I prefer personally, but there you go. But then I'm also 190 pounds with my shirt off as well. So I guess now I have the best of both worlds. Right, folks, I am going to call it there. Hopefully you guys found that useful. Please put down your comments and your questions about anything that I've said. Have a wonderful rest of your week and I will see you for part three. Take care.